Let's go. Had Let's a chance, go. but you blew it, blew it, blew it. Man, I'm great. Move on, baby, who this, who this, who this. Girl, you're messing with the wrong one. Now I'm flexing cause I'm on one. I'm on one. Flex, 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 flexing on. Flex, 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 flexing on you. To NBA University. Today is Monday, February 11th, um, and today is our college basketball podcast. So we're going to go over the recently revealed top 16 teams of the tournament, seeds one through four, um, go over that, and then get into three teams from the Big East, get into our picks, trade, and the study like always. Um, so with the first... 16 teams revealed. What was your uh, first reaction to that? So I think the committee did a, a good job of listening to us in one aspect and an awful job of listening to us in another aspect. So the, the bad thing is that you have two bi- or three Big Ten teams in the top nine with Michigan, Michigan State, and Purdue. Michigan at six is fine with me, um, but Michigan State and Purdue in the top ten is a little weird. Um, and then you also have Wisconsin 16th. So, I mean, they're putting a lot of stock in the big 10, which I understand after you get to like about seven things just really get murky. Um, there's not really like clear cut teams beyond the seven that we keep talking about that we think can win the title. Um, but that's a lot of big 10 teams up there. And, uh, I just obviously don't like the big 10 that much. And I mean, we only have Duke, Virginia, and North Carolina and Louisville, so four ACC teams, um, two SEC teams, and then a couple other random teams thrown in there. But um, so that's a little weird to me. I thought that Michigan State and Purdue, specifically Purdue as a top ten team, I was not ready for that at all. Um, and then the thing they listened to us about, they have Houston at eleven and Nevada at fourteen. Uh, so you can see they really put a lot of stock into that Nevada blowout um, on the road at New Mexico. Really <laughs> held that against Nevada quite a bit. And Houston, on the other hand, uh, probably with a better resume overall, but less preseason hype, actually is ranked ahead of Nevada. So I think they did a good job there. Yeah, I was, I was happy to see Nevada fall down to the second four seed um, because I think they're just in such a, in a conference that doesn't have the competition, and even though they're blowing these teams out, I just I'm not confident in their abilities to to be good teams because their lack of depth, um, the lack of consistent shooting, and I think Iowa State, Marquette, Houston, Kansas, all those teams are are significantly better. Um, I could even argue Louisville and Wisconsin are better as well. Um, but yeah, like you said, um, Purdue and Michigan State I thought were way too high. Um, especially Michigan State's little run they've, they've gone on. Um, obviously, they turned it around against Minnesota, but um, like what lost three in a row, uh, not looking great during those games, losing Langford. <clears throat> uh, I think um, they should be closer to the four seed than, than the two seed. Um, and Purdue is just such an inconsistent team, inconsistent team. 
being the top three seed is was weird to me. Um, but I don't know with with Virginia possibly losing tonight. Uh, I think they fall out of the t- the the one slot and Kentucky slides in. Um, but I don't think they should slide any farther than the first two seed. I think those five teams are are a tier ahead of everyone. Um, and you can even argue Duke and Tennessee's above those guys as well. Um, but overall, I think it was it was pretty good outside of those those couple of teams. Yeah, and it's ridiculous that Virginia has to play Duke and UNC in three days. <laughs> that's like I don't know what they did to deserve that, but that's going to be rough. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be interesting now because so Kansas has a tough game tonight at TCU. Uh, Houston had a great win against Cincinnati. I think they'll move up uh, because of that win. Marquette, great win over Villanova. But then Iowa State lost. Louisville lost. Wisconsin lost this weekend. So, or this week. Um, so the the bottom of the, the rankings might be switching up a little bit already for the committee. Uh, all of them not, not terrible losses, but also not great losses either. Wisconsin's the one that, that's not bad at Michigan. That's completely fine. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be, besides those top seven, there's a whole lot that can happen the rest of the way. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a top eight with North Carolina, Michigan, Kentucky, um, plus the four one seeds right now. But, I mean, once you, you pass them, you could see eight completely new teams. Um, I mean, obviously not all eight will be different, but it'll be completely shaken up. And I don't think any of these teams are in their final position. I think Iowa State ultimately ends up as a three seed. Um, and then Purdue and Michigan State fall down to a three or four seed. So there's going to be a lot of movement for sure. Yeah, and I think one, the other thing a lot of people talked about was Duke being ranked over Tennessee in the first poll. Uh, Duke having two losses and Tennessee only having one. Um, I think the committee... I don't want to say they threw away the Syracuse loss for Duke, but I think they, uh, I think they realized how good Syracuse actually is and how good Syracuse played in that game, and then weighed the fact that Trey Jones didn't play pretty much the whole game, um, so that that loss at that time doesn't look as bad as it did. Uh, and Duke's Duke's good wins, or Duke's mediocre wins, are better than some teams' good wins. So their resume is crazy. So far, they've already played, I want to say, five top ten teams. Um, and just just a ridiculous resume, taking nothing away from Tennessee. They've beaten who they've played. Um, and we're going to learn a lot more about Tennessee, uh, specifically on Saturday when they have to go to Kentucky. But uh, the AP poll still has Tennessee number one, Duke number two. So, again, we're still, what, five weeks away from Selection Sunday? Now a little bit less than that, but... Uh, there's a whole lot that can change between that one then for sure. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, we talked about it a little bit and thinking more about it. I think between Duke and Tennessee, that's splitting hairs. Uh, they're two very complete teams uh, that take care of business and, and beat the teams they need to. Obviously, these are college kids. There's going to be lapses. Um, but they have as few as possible uh, at that age. And they're just such dominant teams. That those two, I think, are untouchable at those top two seeds. Gonzaga 
could make an argument they went out and went out in, in sort of dominant fashion, but um, because the SEC and the ACC are such, are, their conferences are so much better, uh, I don't think Gonzaga can catch them, and Virginia has too many losses at this point, especially if they lose tonight. Um, and obviously Kentucky's right there, but again, only if Kentucky beats Tennessee twice do I see them taking that spot. Yeah, it's the the toughest thing is going to be for Gonzaga because you're going to have teams like Virginia, teams like Kentucky or Tennessee, whoever loses more of that regular season series. Um, those teams are going to have really good resumes that when you compare them directly to Gonzaga are probably a lot better. Gonzaga's got a win over uh, Duke and a loss at UNC. Um, they've played a tougher schedule this year than normal, but when you compare that to a when like their conference schedule is nothing, and you compare that to a Duke or Virginia or Tennessee, Kentucky that just play quad one, quad two teams night in, night out, that's really tough for Gonzaga, even though they're going to go through the regular season only having a few losses. Um, but still, at worst, they're no they're no worse than the first two seed. Um, and that's completely fine for a tournament team. If you're the two seed, you're still still in a good position. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Do you see anyone three and below uh, that you could see knocking off one of these teams to make the Final Four? Um, Houston's a type of team that nobody's going to want to play. I don't know that they've... Uh, I, don't, I don't know that I trust them enough to score, but... They're like a they're a, a different version of Virginia where they play really good defense and they're super physical and just beat the crap out of you for forty minutes. Um, I don't know how well that's going to transfer to a tournament when I'm sure there's going to be more fouls and like officiating is going to be much more scrutinized. But like that game against Cincinnati was just a backyard brawl for forty minutes. Um, that's the type of game that if you catch a team, uh, say you play like, like a Friday Sunday, they play Friday then. You have to play Houston on Sunday. You get one day off, and then you have to be in a brawl. That's going to be tough. Um, but honestly, I don't see anyone below that that or three and three and four line that I think I would put any amount of faith in to get to the final four. Yeah, I mean, some consider like considerations for some teams that could, um, if everything goes right. Uh, Iowa State, I know you're going to love that. Um, I think they just have so many playmakers on their team. They have good size. Um, and if Shayak is playing the way he is with Wigington, um, and if Horton Tucker turns his jump shot around, uh, they, could be, they could be a team that um, if they have to knock off Michigan, uh, I think can certainly do that. Or they could lose by 15 to a 10 seed and yeah. make everyone confused. Yeah. Yeah, Iowa State's an interesting team. If they're not playing well, they're not playing well. Um, I think Marquette, if they get super hot, uh, Marcus Howard, Sam Hauser, Joey Hauser, uh, if those guys really, really get all, like, can just knock down everything from the outside, they can make a little bit of a run. Um Kansas is up in the air now with Gerald Vick. Um, we don't really know what's going on in that situation. Um, so Kansas is an interesting one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like we've said before, the, 
the top teams are just significantly better than the rest of the field. So I don't feel confident betting against them. I do think the top teams, um, once we put out the bracketology stuff, but like the seven, seven to ten teams are all teams that were highly touted for the most part going into the season, like the Kansas States, the Syracuse of the world that, well, I guess Kansas State's a little higher now, but um, that that were thought of really highly going into the season as possible Final Four teams that started out super slow, got unranked, lost a ton of games, that, like, second game as, like, an eight seed against a one or something like that. Um, I do think these teams could struggle with that, but if they survive that test, then I think they have, I don't want to say a cakewalk to the Final Four, but I think I'd be shocked if they didn't get to the Final Four. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's always tough to play a game, have a day off, and play another game when you're not sure who you're actually going to be playing uh, and having to prepare for that while also recovering. Uh, it's difficult, and for some teams, they recover better than others. So, if And the one thing I will say that I absolutely hate is people saying, these are my four Final Four teams because there's no, you can't. it doesn't matter how good the team is. It's all about the path to get to the Final Four. Until you see a bracket, I don't want to hear anyone tell me that, yeah, these are my four Final Four teams. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It really is comes down to matchup. Uh, <laughs> all these teams have their weaknesses. Um, some of them more than others, uh, than others obviously. But um, if, if a team runs into their worst nightmare second round, I don't know. I just, yeah, it really is all matchups. Anything else you got? Nope. I mean, just hurry up March, right? <laughs> Don't hurry up too fast. We still got some teams to cover, but then, then hurry up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, enjoy this little sound clip here. We're going to get into St. John's. People say, how did you coach Ron in college? And I said, it's very simple. I had to be crazier than him. So whenever I saw him in practice start to bubble up and start to lose the temper, mm -hmm. I went into full Fran Frischella crazy mode, and I went crazy on the entire team. And this So we're going to jump into St. John's as our first Big East team, um, a team that started off really, really hot, won like 14 or so in a row, um, and have sort of come back to, to earth as of late. Um, but the way they line up, so they start with their star point guard, um, Shamari Pons, uh, with Justin Simon, Mustafa Harone, the transfer from Auburn, um, in their backcourt with... L.J. Figueroa, Figueroa, yikes, uh, struggle that one, sorry, um, and then Marvin Clark in their front court with um, Keita, Greg Williams, and Brian Trimble, um, really small bench for them, um, so what is this team outside of Shamari Ponds? Um, in inconsistent, I guess, <laughs> yeah. that's the best word, um, 
you said, but so they started out twelve and zero. Then their next twelve games, they went five and seven. So right now they got them sitting at seventeen and seven, um, five and six in the Big East, which <laughs> I kind of we talked when we talked about them earlier. Um, I forget when when it was, but we had mentioned that you know they set themselves up really nicely. Twelve and zero. They needed to win all those games in non conference because it was a pretty weak schedule. That VCU win looks huge now because VCU looks like a a possible tourney team with or without a conference championship. Um, so beating them is big for St. John's because that's literally the only team that has a chance to make the tournament in their non-conference schedule. Um, but then two-point loss to Seton Hall on the road to start conference play, not terrible. Uh, and then some kind of weirder losses like the Providence lost to Paul, Villanova, obviously. You can lose to Villanova, especially on the road, and then Butler and Georgetown. Um, but since they went 12-0, and they haven't won more than two games in a row. Pretty much alternating wins and losses, it feels like. Um, but Shamori Pons, you, you more or less know what you're going to get every single night. He might have one or two games where he's not quite himself, um, especially if he's, like, Trey Jones kind of took him out of his element, and in the same time, he wasn't entirely himself in that game. Um, so you, he, he'll have one or two of those um but other than that Figueroa is a really nice player I like him a lot especially as a sophomore 6'6 he's a big time matchup problem uh guard skills but a big bigger body doesn't shoot it too well but um he's capable and Mustafa Haron really other than that there's not a ton there um bunch of they're small athletic shooting type team uh, their defense should be better. They're all, especially Mustafa Haron, they're all very capable defenders, very athletic. Definitely can keep people in front of them, but they they struggle more times than they should. Um, and other than that, offensively, they're an isolation team, which I think is most of their problems. Um, they're really, whoever has the ball is going to try to break down their matchup and go one-on-one. Uh, with that being said, they do look for the right matchups with that. So it's not always Shamori Pons going one-on-one. He's really the playmaker. Uh, he'll find the matchup that they want to attack, get the ball to that guy, and then kind of just space the floor. But I, I would love to see them run like a true offense at least. Not even like a set play every time, but like get into a some sort of set that you can just run multiple uh, ball movements out of and just try to get the ball moving and stop letting the defense just set you on one side and just bring bodies to you. It's not working out too well for them. Yeah, that's definitely their biggest problem because they're a tiny team. Um, they're Marvin Clark, 6'7". He's the tallest guy in their starting lineup. And that and, might be an over-exaggeration. <laughs> yeah. And everyone in their starting lineup plays over 30 minutes a game, so very limited minutes from... Kida, who's their only other big that comes off the bench. Um, but, yeah, they, they really need to do something with their offense. Um, not very efficient offensive team, um, despite their numbers. I think it's just because of the skill that they have in Pons, um, Heron, and Figueroa. So I think uh, if they were able to run some sort of horn set where they have Pons initiating the offense with Figaro and her own um, on the elbows with Clark and Simon sort of spread out. Uh, they could get really creative with running pick and rolls um, and different things out of the horn set to get those guys um, in good spots. 
and not have to rely on being able to make a move and a counter move to to get a shot off. And especially when they're playing teams like Duke that have five really good defenders. Um, and going one-on-one with somebody is not a good idea. So um, if they're able to turn their offense around, which we're three quarters away through the season, nothing's going to change for them. So uh, I just don't see, see these guys being uh, much of a threat in the tournament uh, unless they really match up with some weak defensive teams. But as you've been following this podcast, every team we covered has pretty much been a very good <laughs> defensive team. So it's, they're gonna, their, ruck, their luck's going to run out if it hasn't run out already. Yeah, if they play like they played against uh, against Duke in the first half, against, or if they did that for 40 minutes against most good teams, I think they could beat them. Uh, they moved the ball, they got great shots, they defended, really did a lot. Um, until Mustafa Heron pissed off Zion, and then they lost by 30. So that he wasn't their best choice. But I, I think they're the type of team. Um, so I, honestly, I think they're probably going to, finish the big big east around 500 just because that's the way the pace has been going so far um they beat marquette twice they just have for some reason marcus howard just doesn't isn't himself against them um and they really have marquette's number but they still have villanova again they have seton hall again and then xavier twice there's some winnable games some questionable games the rest of the way i say they finish about 500 um which would give them probably 10 or 11 losses on the season, which I think just lets them sneak into like a 10 seed. Um, I could see them winning that first matchup against a seven seed and then just getting hammered by a two seed. Um, with Shamori Ponds, they're capable of really beating anyone if he has his 40, 50 point outbursts like he can definitely have. Uh, but to rely on that and to bet on that is crazy to me. Uh, so I, I like them. They have good pieces on paper. Uh, they should be way better than they are, but there's they're not a team you want to bet you want to bet on. Um, but luckily for them, Shimori Pons is a junior. Mustafa Aron's a junior. Figueroa's a sophomore. Um, really only going to lose Marvin Clark. But on the same token, Shimori Pons could and possibly should go pro. Mustafa Aron, I have a feeling, is going to make a weird decision and go pro. Um, <laughs> And so if, they, if they're just left Figaro, the cupboard's somewhat bare. But um, if all those guys come back, <laughs> just like they came back last year and added Heron, again, on paper, they're going to be loaded. But who knows what you're going to get out of them. Yeah, they're such a strange team. Uh, they have so much offensive talent. Um, and, I mean, they're ranked 47th in the country in offensive efficiency. Um, but if they had a true offense, if they ran... Um, some semblance of a, a motion offense that could get Pons and Heron and Figueroa in some good spots on the floor where they're attacking closeouts, not attacking guys that are f- focusing on them. Um, they could be one of the the best offensive teams in the Big East, so I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that they finished sort of 500, get to a 10-11 seed, and maybe win one game, but um, I can't see them winning, winning more than that. 
Yeah, and I'll give you an early. LJ Figueroa is going to be the top 20 pick or so, uh, not this year, obviously, but the year after. And I think is going to be a pretty good pro if he if he continues on his trajectory right now. Well, top 20. Yeah, so watch him next year. You can, you can, we can talk on the podcast about it, and we'll play this clip back when he's the worst player kicked off the team or something awful <laughs> like that. Yeah, no, he. I mean, he's definitely their best player, not named Pons. So, um, but I don't, I don't know. Top twenty seems high for a junior. <laughs> I know, but it's all right. Six <laughs> six, he's pretty good. Trust me, John Collins. Remember, remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I jumped on board with that one, too. <laughs> um, but St. John's plays um, Butler at home tomorrow. What do you got? Oh, I always forget we do this now. Um, yeah, I like to change things up all the time. <laughs> and you never tell me. <laughs> it's a bit um, <laughs> St. John's at home against Butler. Uh, I think St. John's, they just came off a loss against Providence. <laughs> a really bad one. Um, I think they responded in a big way. I'll say St. John's 81, uh, Butler 69. Huh. Well, I have the same score for Butler, but I think think St. John's uh, barely pulls it out. Um, I was going to say 70-69, but they've scored. uh, That was the exact score of the Marquette game two games ago, so... I'm going to say 74, 60, and 69. It also seems like, well, if, if St. John scores more than 71 points, they're pretty much going to win the game. <laughs> like, they, the times they've lost, they've either had like 71, seven, they've lost three times scoring 71 points, and then 61, 56. So, obviously, they're very offense-oriented. Yeah. But, yeah, that's enough about a team that's not going to do anything in the tournament. Yeah. So the next soundbite and then we'll get into I messed it up already Marquette Marquette Marquette. there he goes love competing against them and I think it's a great thing when you know you come out and it's me versus Wes or me versus Jay or Jimmy it's you know at the end of the day we're competing but you know we're all from the same fraternity um, and that's in Marquette University So for Marquette, um, a team that we've talked about before, um, sort of being overvalued when they were um, in that like 10, 11 range in the, in the country. Um, but they have a lot of good pieces, a team that I do really like. Um, they start uh, Marcus Howard um, having an incredible season yet again. Um, 
starts with a, a point guard. Um, you're going to have to help me out with the shooting guard. Sakari Anna? Yep. Um, <laughs> shooting guard. Uh, see, when I watch their games, I, I don't have the sound on, so I don't hear how to pronounce their names. I just try to watch. Even if you do, it doesn't get any easier, trust me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then at their, their forwards, um, Sam Hauser, um, the older brother, Joey Hauser, um, they play in the front court alongside of Theo John. Um, who's just an absolute monster. <laughs> He's the type of guy that definitely played some sort of defensive end position in high school and wore, like, Dwight Howard-type shirts and just is big for no reason. Yep. He's that kind of guy. Yeah, he's 6'9", 240, but, again, oh my God. he's somehow... Kyle Guy is single-handedly beating North Carolina right now. <laughs> nice. Um but somehow Theo John is 45 pounds lighter than Zion, despite being <laughs> two to three inches taller. Not really sure how, but... Yeah, well, Zion can jump from one side of the lane out of bounds, so I don't think Theo can do that. Hey, we're talking about the Big East today. <laughs> you said it to me. <laughs> Just don't understand what scales are being used with some of these guys. <laughs> anyway, um, so their bench, they have Ed Morrow. They don't have a bench. <laughs> Fair. Uh, now, Ed Morrow, he transferred from... Uh, right now. Nebraska. Nebraska, yep. Um, he, he's a big guy that comes off the bench for them. Um, Joseph... Chartooni. There it is. Um, transferred from Fordham. Yep. Which, I, he played with uh, Eric Pascal, who we'll talk about in a little bit, um, at Fordham. And then Brendan Bailey and Matt Helt. Am I missing anybody? Not really. You went even farther than you needed to. <laughs> yeah, I know. Matt plays seven <laughs> minutes a game, so. Put a lot of zeros in his stats. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so their, their starting lineup is really what um, makes them go. Um, what do you like about their starting lineup? Mark Howard. Yeah. Do you like these quick answers I got for you on these questions? <laughs> um, Marcus Howard, I'm not comparing him to this player, but... Yes, you offensive, are. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm just comparing his move to this player. Oh Offensively, I've never seen anyone in college get their shot as easy as he does besides Kemba Walker. Okay. He has that kind of step... It's not even a step back, it's a step side that just gets him enough room to get a little fade away and knock it down every time. If you watch the game against Villanova, which you pulled out by half a point, I still can't believe you did it, but he drives to the elbow, gets a little James Harden-type push-off, and then sidesteps about two feet and fades away for a knockdown elbow jump shot that he makes every single time he takes it. Um, he is pretty much as good as it gets in terms of an offensive player in college. He's an absolute bucket getter. Uh, in their games when they lose, so they have four losses so far this year. Three of them, uh, Marcus Howard was not the leading scorer, and the other one he was tied with two other players as the leading scorer. So pretty much when he doesn't score like he's capable of, they don't win. Um, and that's really all you need to know about Marquette. For them to be successful in the tournament, you can't rely purely on Marcus Howard. Has to, he has to get help. And in their biggest games, Sakara Inum has stepped up huge. When they played Villanova, they do not come within two possessions of beating Villanova if they don't have Sakar in them. He makes play after play after play down the stretch. He's their defensive stopper. 
and he really takes a lot of pressure off Marcus Howard as like a slasher, and then he'll knock down a three, and you'll be like, how does he do that? Um, but for them to go far in the tournament and get to what a three or a four seed should be getting to, which is Sweet 16, um, they really need to get something consistent out of the Hauser brothers. Both of them are really good offensive players, uh, and both are very capable of, of being great, but they c- just are not consistent enough to get something good from them game in and game out. Uh, and until they can reach that level, I think they're going to not hit their peak as a team. Yeah, yeah, with <clears throat> with the Hauser brothers, especially Joey. I think Joey, I mean, he's a freshman. And he just is lacking confidence right now. Um he only takes 15% of the shots when he's out there. Um, so he's not shooting the ball a ton, despite his incredible percentages right now. Shooting nearly 47% from three um, on 71 attempts. So, I mean, he's shooting the ball really, really well. It's just he's not shooting the ball enough um, to take the pressure off. Uh, and Theo John, I think just besides size, he doesn't really bring much offensively. Uh, but... Like you said, Sakar has been awesome for them in, in big games. And despite him having the worst defensive rating in the starting lineup, which was shocking when I saw it, um, he's by far their best defender. Um, and I think he has to be huge for them. And then Sam Hauser just has to be consistent, has to get to his averages, um, and maybe a little bit more once tournament time hits. Sort of get over that 15 points a game, um, try to get to a double-double. Uh, and just be really good for them, um, really consistent for them, and take some pressure off of Marcus Howard. Uh, that that's definitely their their formula, and stay out of foul trouble because if that bench comes in, um, they're in some trouble. Yeah, it's. I mean, Theo John is their is their anchor on defense. He protects the rim. He's a really good shot blocker. Um, pretty solid rebounder too. Uh, so when they come, when he leaves, they come in with either Ed Morrow, who's more or less strictly an offensive player, um, or Brendan Bailey, who's just a long, skinny, lanky freshman big that can block some shots, but is he's definitely going to be pushed around a little bit. Um, so yeah, Theo John, in a on a defensive perspective, they really need him to stay on the floor offensively. Not much changes when he's not out there, um, but their offense is good enough where they just need a defensive player out there like him. Um, and then I was going to say something else, but I think I forgot. <laughs> oh, uh, when they play Villanova on February 27th, um, most likely going to lose that game at Villanova. Villanova's not going to be too happy they lost at Marquette. Uh, just don't get blown out in that game, and you're looking at a four seed at worst. Um, because really the schedule is not terrible. DePaul, Butler, Providence, Creighton, Seton Hall, Georgetown, other than Villanova, uh, all of which are actually projected to win. Not, I don't want to say easily, but they're going to lose that Georgetown game. Uh, Georgetown is weird like that. <laughs> Telling you, they only beat good teams. Uh, the, we were going to talk about them, but they couldn't put together enough wins to get into the category to talk about. Sorry. We're still going to talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Marquette, uh, I know we said they're overvalued, but they're overvalued and still fall right into that category of are they good enough to get 
to the Elite Eight um, with the rest of those bottom eight teams in the top 16. Yeah. I mean, overvalued in the sense that I don't think they're a top 10 team. I think they're right, right outside of that. Right. Um, and I guess the way the teams are starting to shake out, Kansas losing Gerald Vick, um, Michigan State really falling off, losing Langford. Uh, a lot of these teams sort of stumble in at the end. Um, they could fall into a top 10 team and be just right. Uh, but, I mean, I always get worried when a team plays five guys um, that are very impactful, and then once the bench comes in, it's like a, a totally different team is playing. Um, yeah, there's some – so like the Marquettes of the world, the Houstons of the world, um, Nevada even, there's – Ahead of them in the rankings, there's a lot of teams in the same conference that are all going to beat up on each other, and especially the ACC, which their best teams have the hardest remaining schedule. Like, Duke has the hardest remaining schedule. I think UVA is second, and then UNC is somewhere up there, too. Um, so they really backloaded the ACC schedule this year for whatever reason. So there's a lot of teams that are just going to cannibalize each other, and um, and I think teams that are like the Marquettes, the Houstons, Nevadas, that probably will maybe lose one more time the rest of the year and then get into their conference tournament and should definitely be in the championship game of their conference tournament. Um, I think they're going to really be helped out by the fact that these other teams are going to take some take some lumps down the road. Oh, for sure. Uh, Marquette's going to find themselves in a really nice spot if they can... Uh, if they win out, I mean, they're going to find themselves really nice. Uh, probably be that surprise three seed that I see every single year. Um, but I think if they, they stay the course, keep playing the way they do, um, and just get a little more contribution from Joey, um, I think they'll be, they'll be fine. And Sweet 16 is, and Elite A is not out of the, not out of the question for sure. So are we going to pick the DePaul game now? Yeah, you're learning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so... Coming off a win at or home against Villanova, finally get the monkey off their back and then go on the road to a sneaky DePaul team that at least is competitive. Uh, I think they're going to score a lot, but I think DePaul's going to score plenty too. Um, I'll say 85-80 uh, Marquette. I like that score. Um, I'm going to say 78-70. Uh, I think it's a game that goes down to the wire, but Marquette makes enough plays down the stretch to pull away a little bit. Yeah, DePaul's a strange team. You never know what DePaul team's going to show up. <laughs> so, I don't know. I think they, they should win that, and they, I think they do. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be as much, by as much as it should be, um, because of that big win at home. And I, I would not be shocked if DePaul squeaked one out against them. That's that's how this February works in college basketball. Yep, exactly. Um, so we're going to get into Villanova next, so here's their fight song. But um, as of right now, Villanova, national champions, and uh, a pretty good move.
finally for Villanova, um, the reigning national champs, um, bringing back a, f- a bunch of guys, but they lost a ton from last year. Um, they start with Phil Booth, um, who's been there for even longer than I thought. Um, Colin Gillespie, Jermaine Samuels has been starting the last few games. Um, at that small forward spot with Sadiq Bay and Eric Pascal um, in the front court. Then Demir Cosby Roundtree, um, Javon Quinterly, Cole Swinder. I always want to call him Swinder. Swider. Um, and um, our uh, local guy, Joe Cremo. Um, Joey Buckets. Come off the bench. Um, so, kind of an interesting mix of, of talent and different types of players. Uh, where do you where did they run into problems early on, and are the, do you think they're figuring it out? Um, I don't know that they figured it out. I think it's more the blueprint of Villanova. When you think of Jay, at least for me, when I think of Villanova and Jay Wright, I think of first first player that comes to mind is their point guard every time because you have to um, like start way back, like Corey Fisher, Kyle Lowry, guys like that, Scotty Reynolds. Um, yep. And then now, recently, Jalen Brunson. Uh, they don't have that. Well, they do, but they don't play him because uh, Villanova doesn't like to play freshmen very much. They just run a complex, at least the, the excuse is they have a complex defensive scheme that freshmen take a while to catch on to, so they don't but tend to play much. Is Sadiq Bey a true freshman? Yeah. He plays a lot. I know, because I don't think they have a choice. <laughs> yeah, don't have many wings on this team. <laughs> Um, he's from Maryland too. He snuck out of our backyard down here, but, um, so, so they don't have that player this year, that point guard. And that means Phil Booth has to have the ball in his hands to make plays more than he should, because they need him to just be a scorer, um, and play the, the Mikhail Bridges type, or not even play like the Dante DiVincenzo role. That's what he would be best in. So that's their problem. I think, um, I think they've, didn't figure it out, but I think they got a little bit of a gift with a down Big East this year where they could kind of run through it, rattled off their first 10 and lost by one to Marquette on the road. But, I mean, they had everyone in the world jumped off the bandwagon when they were 8-3 and three and just had lost to Penn with losses to Penn and Furman. Like, I'd been, no one thought they were even going to make the tournament, let alone be this good right now. And they're back in the top 15 and, well, 20 now, but... Um, they're, they're at least close to what we think of when we think of Villanova. Um, so I, I don't think their problem has entirely been fixed. Um, Phil Booth and Eric Pascal have both big time up their play recently, which has gotten them on this little run. But I would love to see them play Cremo and Quinterly both a lot more. Um, honestly, I think Cremo could be their starting point guard and just be the playmaker, ball handler, defender that he's best at. The position he's playing right now is more like a spot-up shooter that he can definitely shoot it, but he's much better with the ball in his hands um, and is a really capable playmaker. So let Pascal and and uh, Booth run around and get their, get open and let Cremo make the play and distribute to him. Um, and Quinterly the same way. He's more of a scorer than a passer, but he's capable of breaking down the defense and getting to the lane like uh, Jalen Brunson did all year long last year. So really, Jalen Brunson is is fantastic, and they need Cremo and Quinterly to kind of combine to to even get close to Jalen Brunson, but um, I really think they need to f- 
to have someone take the ball out of Phil Booth's hands in order to be the, the normal Villanova that we know. Yeah, it feels like they have all the right pieces, just not on the right timeline. So, like, Phil Booth's in his fifth, he's a fifth-year senior. Pascal's a senior. Um, Joe Grimo's a senior, but it's his first year in Villanova. Uh, and then you got some young, inexperienced guys like Quinterly, Sadiq Bay, um, Jermaine Samuels, Crosby Roundtree. I mean, these guys are sophomore and younger. Um so it just feels like they're all in different timelines. If they were um, all around the same class, I think they would have a really special team. And the fact that Quinterly's not even getting to 10 minutes a game, uh, I think he just, that just needs to bump up. Jay Wright just needs to play him, um, really get that burst of energy from him, that scoring ability, take some, take some of that ball handling responsibility out of Phil Booth. Um, and Gillespie, just let them uh, be spot-up shooters at times so they don't have to feel that pressure um, and get Eric Pascal involved uh, through that way as well. Um, but, yeah, I do think they have the right pieces, and once if they can get them to match, uh, they could be, I wouldn't say a Final Four team, but I think Sweet 16 would make sense for them. Yeah, I think that's probably their ceiling too. Um, I think they have a lot of similar type players uh, with like Jermaine Samuels, Sadiq Pei, Cosby Roundtree. Those guys are honestly like you could say they're brothers. Basically, you're taking out the same guy and putting in a guy with the exact same skill set. Um, and they're they're all crazy high recruited guys. Like Samuels had Duke, Kentucky. Everybody was in on him. Um, chose Villanova. Sadiq Bay was pretty highly recruited in this area between Maryland, Virginia. Uh, Georgetown, those type of teams. Um, and Cosby Roundtree, I think, is is a really good player that doesn't get the credit he deserves. He's one of the better rebounders in the country uh, at 6'9", which is impressive. But, uh, yeah, they using Gillespie right now as like their ball handler, I think, is wrong because I think that doesn't work towards his skill set and it just doesn't help anyone. Um, I Like I said, if I had control of this team, um, I would have Cremo as the point guard and let Booth and Gillespie just spread space the floor and stay on the wings around him and then have Pascal and anyone, probably Roundtree with him. Um, and then Samuels and Sadiq Bay coming off the bench with Quinterly backing up Joe. Um, but I would like to see them just play everyone because there's besides Booth and Pascal, no one stands out, and they're all very capable players. So just give guys minutes, go with the hot hand that game, but you can't have games where Quinley has zero minutes this deep into the season. That's ridiculous to me in a one-point game against Marquette. You just, that just can't happen with how good he is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're playing their their starters really outside of Jermaine Samuels a ton. Uh, I mean, Booth is averaging thirty-five. Pascal is averaging thirty-six minutes. Gillespie's averaging thirty. Um, Sadiq Bay is right, averaging right around twenty-eight. Um, so, I mean, I think they need to spread those out a little bit more. Jay Wright's got to give, instill some trust into these guys. I think they'll play a lot better. Um, and based on, so last year, Eric Pascal is basically a worse version of Amari Spellman. Like, they're very close, very similar type play styles. Pascal's a little bit smaller, a little more athletic, um, but not quite as, as well-rounded as Amari. Amari was 
at best their third best player last year. Pascal's easily the second best player, and it's not even close this year. So there's a there's they lost a ton last year. You think of Mikael Bridges, Jalen Brunson, Dante Divincenzo. Um, they definitely expected Divincenzo back. I know they didn't think Brunson was going to be back, but all three of those guys could have been back this year, and they would have been really, really, really good. Yeah, all of they. I mean, I think the way Bridges played for most of the season, they they were expecting him to be gone and him and Brunson, but DiVincenzo and Amari Spellman on this team would really help their all their problems, I think. But Pascal has really stepped up this game. I was impressed with um, his ability to put the ball on the floor and take some pull-up jumpers um, and really look smooth doing it. Look, He's starting to look more like a wing rather than like a stretch four type of guy. Um, so, I mean, I like, his, I like his development as he's been going on. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, this, this team's got a lot of, a lot of talent uh, that if they can all come together. Uh, and especially since, I mean, they're going to lose Pascal. Uh, they're going to lose Phil Booth. But they have so much talent here uh, for next year. To really and they have a really good class coming in, too. Yeah. So I think Villanova will have a better year next year. Um, but I see them, I think Sweet 16 is their ceiling, but ultimately lose the, they'll win their first game and then lose that second one in a close one. Yeah. And um, this is purely my prediction, complete speculation and nothing to back it up. But I'm saying Javon Quinterly goes to the draft this year because I think he's done with Villanova. And if he would have transferred, I think he would have done it at the midway point between semesters. I wholeheartedly think he's gone. Yeah, no, I can see that um, for sure. I think what's going to hurt him is he doesn't have elite size. Uh, and with limited play time, it's going to turn into turn into him being, at best, a late second rounder. But most yeah, I don't likely undrafted. Gonna, yeah, I think he's leaning more undrafted. I just think... So, he originally was committed to... Well, wanted to commit to Arizona, I think, and then chose not to because of the investigation and everything going on there um and then chose villanova and then as we know he put that instagram story up saying this is why it's my second choice when he didn't play early on in the year um, i think you can just kind of see he's he's pretty much fed up with the situation uh so i i don't it doesn't at least the way that i think of him i don't think he's going to want to transfer somewhere and sit out for a year i think he's going to rather just go maybe play in the g league and try to earn his way there uh, but i don't I would bet that he's not in Villanova next year. Yeah, that's going to be like Kobe Simmons all over again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, that wraps up our, our Big East teams um, for the week. What are we doing next week? Uh, Pac-12, maybe. <laughs> Only one team, though. <laughs> no, we might do, let's say, Washington, Arizona State, and then... Houston. Uh, well, I want to do Houston with Cincinnati, so we could do the two of them, I guess. Actually, no, let's do, forget the Pac-12. Let's do the American Athletic, and we'll do um, Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, and Temple. And those are the four possible tournament teams there, so. Well, that sounds good. Giving me more homework now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll do those teams next. We'll give you another sound clip here, and... We'll get into our picks, trade, and study. 
no, so, no, so maybe you can put your great minds together and go through this, and by, by the end of the show, we'll have a completed bracket. Okay, so Zach's going to give me a trade here. Um, what do you got? All right, so this is really probably against the collective bargaining agreement because I've already traded this player one time. But Oh, boy. <laughs> Javon Quinterly, I'm saving you again, buddy. Um, so as I spent way too long talking about Villanova with their true point guards and and really ball handler, playmaker type player that can kind of score it a little bit, Jalen Brunson-esque. Um, so Oregon is a team we're not going to talk about because they're bad. <laughs> um, but uh, they have a decent... Honestly, like top 15 probably recruiting class coming in next year. And they have some nice young pieces this year that I don't know that are going to leave. Like Lou King, I could see him staying. Uh, Kenny Wooten is a guy that I think might stay around. So they have a nice young core. Uh, obviously going to lose Bull Bull most likely, but they have a young, nice young pieces. And I think if they get Quinterly and can play him the rest of the season, and it would be wholeheartedly his team because he has not got a lot to work with when he gets there. Uh, he can just play his style and, and be the guy, um, possibly convince him into into hanging around one more year and making a run at a Sweet 16 Elite Eight. Um, but So I would trade Javon Quinterly for Peyton Pritchard and just give Villanova – I think Peyton Pritchard's the guy that Jay Wright would just salivate over. Um, a, a true point guard that can handle it, can shoot it, can make plays for other people, and decent defender, um, and obviously would play since he's – older experienced and been there done that so i think that would give that would move phil booth off the ball um, and, and give villanova another scoring option to go along with the playmaker and i think it works out pretty well for both teams if you can get quinterly to stay it works out even better yeah i mean getting anybody to for jay Wright to play um, in that position i think will be a, an upgrade for um, Villanova because he's just not playing Quinterly right now. So might as well trade him because he has a ton of value, ton of skill, ton of talent. Um, can be very good for a lot of teams. Um, and bringing him to Oregon, which I, I really like those two guys, Luke King and um, Kenny Wooten. I think those two are um, NBA-level type of talents and could really thrive with, with Quinterly um, growing with him because they're both pretty young. And they all want to play fast and get out and make some highlight plays and think they go together well like that. Yeah, and then just getting Pritchard to to Jay Wright, let him play in, in a, an NBA style of uh, team that really requires um, high basketball IQ and um, being able to play through that. Uh, I think that works out for both teams, and that's surprising when you have a five star recruit trading uh, trading him to. A, um, a bad team, that just more of a veteran guy. So, uh, actually, that's probably my favorite trade you've made so far. Nice. <laughs> it's really hard to find a, a true point guard that Jay Wright would actually play in college basketball. So that I had to dig deep for that one. I think uh, Georgetown's point guard Jay Wright would love. Um, yeah, but he's too young. <laughs> yeah, but he plays like he's a. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. I think the only freshman he would play is Trey Jones, and that's not even just to talk about Trey Jones. That's just what I wholeheartedly believe. That's just talking about Trey Jones. <laughs> we talked about Speaking of Trey Jones, you want to talk about some games that Trey Jones is going to play in over the next week? Not really. <laughs> well, I have to do it anyways. So, uh, 
games to watch this week. That's going to be a little bit longer because we're doing Podcast Monday, and this week's loaded, especially in the middle of the week. And I also tried to give some, uh, throw in some mid-majors in here because we're getting to that point where a lot of top-of-the-conference type matchups are happening. Um, so Tuesday, well, right, hopefully tonight you watched UVA and UNC and now Kansas TCU. Um, but Tuesday we have Purdue at Maryland, Duke at Louisville, LSU at Kentucky, and Michigan State at Wisconsin to go along with Kansas State at Texas. So I hope you have nothing to do tomorrow night. Uh, Wednesday, Syracuse at NC State. Thursday we have Hofstra at Charleston, Murray State at Austin P. Uh, two top two top three type matchups in their conference. Friday, Buffalo at Toledo. Those are the top two teams in that conference. Saturday, Maryland at Michigan. Baylor at Texas Tech, Iowa State at Kansas State, VCU at Dayton, UNC Greensboro at Wofford, and Tennessee at Kentucky, and then Sunday, Villanova at St. John's. So truly a loaded week of basketball, Um, and it's going to be like that the rest of the way. We're not really getting any breaks here. Uh, So with that being said, who are you picking this week? So I am going with um, a game that's on Saturday. I think it's it's a revenge game. Uh, Iowa State at Kansas State. I think Iowa State played terrible um, against Kansas State when Kansas State came to Iowa State. Um, and I think they really want to get them back. Uh, I know Kansas State's playing well, um, but I think Iowa State sneaks one out um, on the road here. Uh, I'm going to say it's... Uh, I'm going to say 67-63. And I think Kansas State's favored um, by a point and a half. So I'll take Iowa State plus one and a half, but ultimately wins the game. Yeah, I like that one too. That was one I was looking at. But I think it's funny. We had Kansas State dead and buried without Dean Wade, and now they're two games clear in the Big 12 all by themselves. So that's just remarkable. That's college basketball in a nutshell right there. Um, But I'm going to the – Biggest game of the week, college game day game, Saturday. Kentucky. North Carolina Wake Forest. <laughs> Kentucky hosting Tennessee in a top five matchup. Um, Tennessee's a great team, and you will never hear me tell you that they're not as good as people think they are. But Kentucky's, <laughs> Kentucky's talent-wise the best team and probably overall the second best team in the country right now. Um, Kentucky at home against Tennessee, number one team. When's the last time Kentucky hasn't been the highest-ranked team in a home game in a long time? Um, So I'm saying Kentucky, probably favored by three and a half. Um, And I'm taking Kentucky over Tennessee in like a six- to eight-point win. I think Tennessee puts up a heck of a fight, but Kentucky at at Rupp Arena with that loaded roster, I think it's just too much. Ooh. (laughs) No, that's gonna be that's definitely the the game of the week for sure. It's a game of the year potential. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we could just keep getting top five matchup after top five matchup. <laughs> I love having the conference have two top five teams. Oh, ACC no, no. has it. SEC has it. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, I think Tennessee keeps it really close. If they do lose, I know six to eight points is close, but I think it's like. Uh, whoever has the ball last type of um, type of game, um, but I don't know if you picked up on last week's soundbite of Admiral Schofield singing Adele. But yep, it was pretty good. Not gonna lie, not bad. And Kyle Alexander's the singer of the team too. So 
They have a whole know. bunch of dancing videos and stuff if you want. Tennessee's a pretty pretty funny team if you want to look at them. A little yeah. closer on social media. They got a lot of characters out there. That's going to be a really interesting matchup, though, with the front court of Grant Williams, Kyle Alexander going against P.G. Washington and um, Reed Travis. <clears throat> I think Reed Travis has his hands full um, on, the, on the glass with Kyle Alexander being a lot bigger than him, height-wise. Yeah, actually, I want to see who's going to guard who there because Tennessee, both players really don't leave the lane in terms of their offensive like scoring ability. They're all pretty much all points in the paint. And obviously, P.J. is much more of a floater. Um, so I think on both ends of the floor, P.J. Washington's uh, defensive matchup and his offensive matchup, I think that's going to be the key. Uh, like, Because if Grant Williams has to step out and guard P.J. and contain him off the bounce and everything, if he's sitting on the bench with two fouls, they're in, they're in a heap of trouble. So I think that's an interesting matchup. And then just the brute force of Admiral Schofield against two young guys in Hero and Kelvin Johnson, whoever chooses to take that matchup on, probably Kelvin Johnson. will be yeah. interesting to see that too. Yeah, yeah that's going to be very fun. And then the, the backcourt of Jordan Bone against um, Ashton Hagens and Bowden and Lamonte Turner with Harrow, I think will be interesting as well. Um, you want to know the best part about Tennessee? What? Admiral Schofield's a senior, Kyle Alexander's a senior, but they could return the whole rest of the team. Yeah, that's good. I mean, Grant Williams is ridiculous, and he's a junior. And he's borderline pro, so I don't know. Yeah, like he's a, he's one of the great college players that doesn't necessarily translate pro, so he ch- could easily be a four-year college guy. Yeah, that Tennessee team could be really good next year. Uh, Rick Barnes, killing it. Yep. All right, study time. Eh, Might as well, right? (laughs) Do we got anything else? (laughs) Got to learn some stuff. Yeah, I feel like I've been learning all day. (laughs) Um, But yeah, let's let's jump into the study. Oh, back to school, back to school. To prove to dad that I'm not a fool. I got my lunch packed up, my boots tied tight. I hope I don't get in a fight. Oh, back to school, back to school, back to school. All right, so this one is done. It was done on soccer players, but again, pretty much no matter what the sport is, the, the type of studies can translate to almost everything, unless it's like a mechanical, fundamental type study. Um, but this was done on soccer players in different divisions, so higher level versus lower level divisions compared to the general population. And they tested executive functions, which is your multi, multi-processing, like creativity, adaptability, that kind of stuff um, in your brain. So the more executive function that was required to complete a task, the better the higher level players performed. So, um, like, if you take, uh, if you take, like, the Premier League, for example, versus, what's the other one called? Championship? Um, the one below them? Yeah. Yeah, Championship. That one. So, the Premier League players would, um, would test higher in executive function than the Championship players would. Um, same thing with, with basketball, most likely the pros would test higher than NCAA athletes. That's a little, little iffy just because a lot of NCAA athletes still have their, uh, their bodies are still growing, their brains are still growing and stuff. But, um, 
really the higher level players are just testing better executive functioning wise than the lower level players. Um, they both showed much higher levels than the general population. So any athlete, no matter what their skill level, as long as they're playing a sport and somewhat successful at it, um, will test better than a non-athlete. And it also surprisingly showed the ability to predict future successes. So for soccer, someone with a higher level um, functioning ability, they were able to like pretty closely predict goals and assists um, and how well the player would do. So in basketball, you would maybe be able to predict three-pointers made or uh, shooting percentage or something like that. Um, and it pretty much, to me, just shows why basketball IQ is a real thing. Um, everyone's always looking for a smart basketball player and, and someone that just understands the game, and it's not really something you can learn. It's just something you continually put yourself in situations and you just learn how to react more than learn a situation. Um, so really just the, the ability to use your memory and update your memory and react to situations in basketball where it's always changing. The situation is always fluid. Um, it's, it's interesting to see that come, come to fruition in, the, in a true science study. Yeah. I mean, you got the perfect soundbite for this, but <laughs> the old Russell Westbrook. Ah, that's pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, basketball IQ is, is hugely important. Um, and since basketball is really the style of game is changing every about five to seven years now, um, it went from a big man's league to um, a three-point shooting league uh, to trying to get anything inside the paint or behind the three-point line, um, and now it's sort of going to everyone's going to have to be able to dribble the ball, um, shoot. Um, defend, do everything. Um, so with with the game ever changing, um, it only makes it that more important to be able to understand the game. So I mean, that is a very interesting study. Glad you liked it. Yeah. So um, that wraps it up. Um, we're gonna get into uh, the NBA next. Uh, when do you want to do that? Um. It doesn't matter to me. I'm pretty good the rest of the week besides tomorrow. Yeah. I think we'll, we'll try to get it towards the end of the week, Thursday, um, most likely. Uh, but we're just making progress slowly but surely on this on this website, getting some good things put together. Um, I promise it's going to be out at some point. <laughs> um, uh, we're shooting for somewhere before the tournament starts, so just as a... yeah. And it, it might be it might look a little bit rough, um, but want to get it out then so you can have an interactive bracket then. So um, we'll have our own little competition between listeners and ourselves, and see what happens with that. For for purely fun, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, and as always, shout outs to DJ Zenus. Please check him out. Um, Great, great DJ putting out a lot of good music. Um, and he's going to take us away here. Anything else, Zach? I'm good. All right, here he is.
conversation. Sorry if I'm blunt, but your boy kind of fake. Just need a chick to throw it back when I'm lazy. Love it or hate it, doing my two steps. Looking fresh from the shoes to the crew. Man, it ain't even two yet. Make a run before we run out. Party all night till the sun's out. Hack weed over with basics. Got the cups lined up in the basement. Party hard till the cops show up. Get out on the floor. All I want to know, can we turn this thing out?